Welcome to the Thrive Church weekly message. We hope that you enjoy this podcast from Pastor Glenn Fraser, and we hope that it blesses you. For any more information on this sermon or any additional resources, visit us at thrivechurch.co.nz. How you going, 11 o'clock service? You good? Yeah, good to have you here, everyone. Um, yeah, we're just yeah, having a good, a good morning here today, and my voice has got a little better. I pretty croaky the first service, so yay, go God. Hey, I just uh, love that testimony, Lisa, and um, uh, the thing about the conference and um, just grabbing, you know, like the, the fact that, that Jesus didn't come to this world to bring religion. He came to this world to bring life. He came to bring like this incredible intensity of his love and vibrancy. And I don't know what, uh, you know, your take on all church says and all that kind of stuff, but I want to tell you that the heart and the message of Jesus Christ is, is or should be at the center of the church. And uh, yeah, we just, we just, no matter where you're at today, we just hope and pray that God really just rocks your world. And because if he does, it's always good. It's always going to be good. Hey, uh, in a few weeks, um, we're taking up a, a giving offering for our mission organizations that we support, uh, support both locally and internationally. Um, it's called our Big Give. Surprise, surprise. Uh, and um, so we, we uh, partner with our with, um, local initiatives, Rachel's House, to support for young uh, mums and then our 24-7 um, youth worker in high schools and a number of other things locally. And then we've, uh, when we support people, um, the uh, Diaz, the amazing Diaz in Arnhem Land, and then we've got people in uh, the Philippines and Julian Jeff in um, Cambodia. And so this offering really is all about us. Hey, we want to partner with the great work that these guys are doing. And just, hey, look, just to say over uh, the next few weeks, if you could just be just kind of prayerful and go, hey, how could I contribute something towards uh, the good work that they're doing. It doesn't have to be thousands. Just everything counts, but it could be thousands if you want, just saying. So, yeah, it could be tens of thousands. That's right. We took up $30,000 last year, I think. No, $36,000 in this offering. So it's really, it's a really exciting. People get excited about giving uh, to mission organizations. And so we're pumped to support people. Hey, uh, this morning I'm going to be talking about the one uh, I don't know if you've ever had one person in your world that's made a massive difference to you. I remember when I was um, about 13 years old and I just went to a youth group for the first time and there was this one guy called Jason Neal and um, he made a massive difference in my world. He would just kind of ring me up occasionally uh, or he would come drop around to my house and, and he would just be, he was just present for a few years in my life. It was about a year and a half actually and he just made such a difference in my world. I was an insecure, pretty, uh, you know, just like, how do I do this big life? I was at Marlborough Boys College, and he was like too cool to come up and give me a hug at school, but he'd be like, what's up? Uh, and I knew that he saw me, you know? <laughs> I knew that he saw me, and it made a massive difference in my life. And, and I think um, as a church, you know, he is calling us to move towards the ones, to the ones that really need to know who, who and what love looks like 
essentially. And so this morning, my message is, talk, is talking about the one, and I just want to open it, um, Matthew uh, chapter 18, and, and it's, it's a, you'll know this, or most of you will know this when I, when I start um, reading the scripture, and it says this, at that time, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And so Jesus is about to give this response, uh, and I just want you to keep in, in mind as, as I just read this response that the original intent of this response is that Jesus is answering a question, who is the greatest? So just check this out, and he, he called a little child to him, and he placed the child among them, and, and he said, truly I tell you, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. See that you do not despise one of these little ones, for I tell you that their angels uh, in heaven, their angels, these little ones, angels in heaven, always see the face of my Father in heaven. What do you think if a man owns a hundred sheep and one of them wanders, uh, wanders away, and will he not leave the 99 on the hills and go to look for the one that wandered off? And if he finds it, truly I tell you, he is happier about that one lost sheep than about the 99 that did not wander off. In the same way, your Father in heaven is not willing that any of, the, any of these little ones should perish. Jesus loves the one. And maybe you are here today and you feel like the one. It's like, man, if you only knew my world, man, I feel like the one, you know, like Neo, I'm the, I'm the one, I'm the chosen one, but I'm the chosen one for all the drama, the heartache, the pain, the like, isolation. And maybe you feel like the one today. I want to tell you that today Jesus is looking at your life and he wants to move uh, towards you. I want to tell you this story. And it was a few days before Christmas in 1943, and the Allied bombing campaign, this is from England to Germany, was in full swing. And uh, the second lieutenant, Charlie Brown, believe it or not, was a freshly minted bomber. This is a true uh, story as well. And so um, him and his crew were about to embark on their first mission, and it was to hit an aircraft factory in northern Germany. So it was pretty tough for those guys making planes there. And so Brown's B-17 Flying Fortress was called Ye Old Pub. And it was a typical American heavy bomber of the time. And so as Ye Old Pub approached Germany, anti-aircraft fire opened up. And, uh, and unfortunately for the pilots and the crew of Ye Old Pub, one of the anti-aircraft uh, rounds exploded right in front of their plane and it destroyed the uh, one engine and damaged another. And Ye Old Pub could no longer keep up with the formation. Things went from bad to worse for Brown and his crew as uh, Ye Old uh, Pub was attacked from 50. 15 enemy fighters, and the, the damage they sustained was immense, and the tail gunner was killed, and four others were injured, and including Brown, who caught a uh, bullet fragment in his right shoulder. And so the only defense guns left in service was this top turret that you could probably see there, and, and the nose gun, and the, the bomber's hydraulics and oxygen systems were all knocked out, and the plane went into a spiral, uh, plummeting towards the ground. And uh, what happened next was, according to the memory of Brown, he said, I either spiraled, we spun out of, the out of control, and we just, we managed to pull up just before the plane hit the ground. And and so somehow they managed to stabilize the plane, and so now they're just like, mm, tuk -tuk, mm, put, put, uh, at about a thousand feet, and they're just crawling along through the sky. And then on their way out, the last thing they did was that they flew over a German airfield. And so Lieutenant Franz Stigler, a, um, a German 
uh, fighter pilot, he, he just had come in from shooting down two uh, B-17s and he saw ye old pub limp on by. And, and, and so um, naturally he scrambled to give chase, uh, but what he saw when he, when he saw what was going on with that plane arrested any kind of aggression that he may had. He told interviewers in 1991 that he was amazed at the, the amount of damage that this bomber had sustained. And he could see crew members uh, giving first aid to each other through the gaping holes in, uh, in the fuselage. And so he kept his distance, and he, but he, and, he, and he always stayed out of the line of fire from the two guns still in service, as he would. Um, but he managed to come close and fly within 20 feet of, of the aircraft, and, and, and he tried to contact the pilot Brown with hand signals, and, and, and his message was simple. It was like, land your plane in Germany and surrender or, or fly to Sweden. Uh, that heap will never make it back to England. And, and so this bewildered Brown, he's staring back through the side window, not believing what he was seeing as this strange uh, German pilot kept gesturing towards him. Nice gestures. Uh, and, and, and there was no way that he was going to land the plane, but he, um, the, the pilot stayed with him. And, 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 and the story says that he kept other attackers off until they reached the North Sea. And then it wasn't, uh, and it was clear that Brown wasn't going to stay in Germany. He, um, the German, peeled off, saluted him, and, and headed for home. And somehow the bomber actually limped across the English Channel, and and, and it landed as a smoking pile of exhausted men and shredded uh, aluminium. And, and and isn't that an awesome story? Isn't that amazing that there was someone there who saw a greater purpose and a greater mission than what was assigned to him to destroy this bomber? But when he got close, he could see that these guys, you know, to to destroy was to end lives, but he was able to actually look and see and move with compassion. And and the Bible says this, do not conform to this pattern of the world. Uh, This world says, hey, let's look out for number one, and I'm actually number one, and if I just keep in with the system, and with the program that's going to keep me safe in life and I'm going to be good and I'm going to win because I'm number one. But this guy here, he, uh, this German pilot, he actually risked his life not shooting down this plane because he would have been shot, uh, he went on to say to interviewers, if, he, if, if the story had got out that he let the English people get home. And, and so I want to just bring this kind of word today just to urge us to separate ourselves from what's easy in life and start looking for the ones that are around us that who who could, you know, really do with courage, comfort, and the goodness of God in their lives. And all of that actually comes through our lives. It comes through our actions and it comes through our responses to people around us. So I want to introduce you to the three R's this morning. Everyone say three R's three hours, and every pirate said amen. So the shepherd, he brought the sheep back to the 99, creating 100. And this 100 number is a number, it's a, it's a biblical number for, the, uh, for completion. And then there's this party that the Bible talks about that's thrown with rejoicing. And so Jesus has, and in, in his heart and his mind, he carries this desire to see completion. He wants to see the, the things that aren't completed, the people that aren't completed, the broken people, the hurting people, the ones in need of restoration. He wants to bring them into a place of completion. 
He's not satisfied. My Jesus is not satisfied with someone who's, who's living a life that is in a place of brokenness. He always wants to move people towards people and bring people in, to gather them in into a place of reconciliation with him. And that is the first R this morning. Check this scripture out. It's in 2 Corinthians 5. It says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. And so many of us know that. It's awesome. The old is gone and the new is here. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ, who gave us the ministry. He gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. He was committing, committed to uh, us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. You know, we take this message of reconciliation. I don't know if you consider yourself as an ambassador. Maybe you represent your company, your family, whatever you're doing, but you actually represent a group of people. And so here we are, and the Word is God telling us that actually you and me, we look like Jesus. We're going to smell like Jesus. We're going to give like Jesus. We're going to love like Jesus. We're going to be full of joy like Jesus. We're actually an ambassador carrying this ministry of reconciliation into the lives of people that are around us, into the ones that are around us. I remember I was on a plane a few years ago, and um, I'd, be, I'd preach somewhere, and I was, I was flying back, and I, the last thing I actually felt like doing was having a conversation with anyone. You know, you just kind of want to shut down, put your headphones on, and just go to sleep, or something like that, or pretend you're asleep at least. And this guy next to me just wouldn't stop talking and asking me questions, and, and um, it was... It was a really, it was a great guy. And then I was like, well, okay, I'll tell you my story then. And so I ended up, I just shared the story of my life. And, and in that, um, some of the testimony about actually what grace, uh, you know, an encounter with grace with Jesus did to my life. And and then he he said to me, um, like, wow, and oh, I've got my, my uncle's a pastor somewhere, you know. And, um, and then, you know, plane landed, we went our separate ways and he got off first and um, and, and collected his bags, and by the time I was, I, I was miles behind him, and then um, as I was leaving the airport, he's waiting by a door for me, and he's waiting for me. He wasn't waiting for anyone else. He's like, oh, you are coming, you know. <laughs> I'm glad. I just wanted to say thank you so much for sharing that message with me today. It just meant so much to me. And I want to just remind you that you carry a great message today, that you have an incredible message in your heart, and people don't know that they need this message. They don't know, he didn't know that he needed to hear some hope and, and, some, and, and some good news. And you carry this message of good news. I just want to ask you today, who's God putting in front of you? Who's God put in front of you as an employer? You know, who are your staff? Who are you looking to support? Maybe they are the little ones. Maybe they're the ones that are around your life that you could be, you know, a blessing towards. Maybe you're a busy mum. You come along to many movers here or you're like, oh, it's crazy, my life. But there's someone there that you could just offer friendship and a smile towards. That one person that you actually feel like, hey, I'm, I'm right here and I can display compassion into their lives. I want to tell you that that counts for that one. Maybe the one that is in your world is someone that just drives you crazy. And it's like, oh, I don't, how do I have grace for this person? But actually, you know that you're called to love this person because no one else can and you're in their worlds. I want to ask you today, who is your one? 
is you one. Remember how Jesus, how the disciples asked Jesus. They said, hey, who is the greatest? And then Jesus calls this child to himself. And after saying like a few profound things as Jesus does, he says, see that you do, do not despise. See, see that you do not despise these little ones. For I, for I tell you that their angels in heaven always see the face of my Father in heaven. And you know, he's just telling us, reminding us that those little ones, those ones under our noses, the ones that we could easily look over and not look out for, you know, these, these, these ones have angels in heaven. They have great value in the Father's eyes. And then he references back to the children. He says, in the same way, your Father in heaven is not willing that any of these little ones should perish. Perhaps these little ones are your own children. <laughs> You know, perhaps are the ones that are just familiar in our lives that we can easily overlook. And I know for Deb and I, we have a constant recalibrating our life around our children being our priority, not all this busyness with ministry and church and all those other things that could just take precedent because our children are our little ones. We've we've got to honor those little ones in our lives. Don't overlook the opportunities of those little ones that are around you. Maybe they're not children. Maybe they act like children and they're adults. Maybe you're married to one. I don't know. You know, maybe, maybe they're your family. You know, but you're called to display the love of Christ in your world. Do not overlook these opportunities. It's never going to be convenient. It's not really that convenient to come out of our bubbles and look to the ones around us. That's why the Holy Spirit gives us fruit of the Holy Spirit. He gives us, he gives us, what does he give us? He gives us patience <laughs> because, heck, without him, I don't have much. He gives us kindness because without him, it's just so easy to be selfish. He, he gives us gentleness, and, and, and that's when we're like, yeah, I'm going to explode with anger, and, and suddenly we're like, no, I'll respond with gentleness. This is actually, it's an action, isn't it? Gentleness is an action. Kindness is an action. Patience is an action. He gives us peace, self-control. We need the Holy Spirit, you know, to be working in our hearts and in our lives so that we can put this kind of radical love on display to the world around us. Reconciliation. It actually, it looks like being prepared to leave the flock and leave the ones that we're familiar with and go outside of our comfort zone, our routines to the ones that we wouldn't normally go to. We're called to this message of reconciliation. There's, there's this funny old book, funny word, funny name, Habakkuk. Everyone say Habakkuk. Habakkuk chapter 2. And this, this, Habakkuk was a prophet. He's frustrated. He's like, God, when are you going to do something? When are you going to, you know, deal to my enemies? When are, when are you going to show that you're real? When, where, particularly, where, where are you going to bring justice where it feels like there's this injustice? And, and but God says, hey, i got a message for you, brother. i got a message for you. And he says this, write down the revelation. God's like, write down the revelation and make it plain on tablets, make it real clear. Write down the revelation, make it real clear so that a herald may run with it. 
And so in that, God's saying, hey, I want to give you the message. I want, I want to give you the messenger for the message of my kingdom. Because a herald is actually, they, they were sent by monarchs and they were sent by kings and noblemen to, to proclaim messages and, and proclamations. And they would wear the same, often you know, the same coat of arms that would represent this kingdom of the king. And, and they, they looked like the kingdom, they spoke the message of the kingdom, and they would carry this message or assignment from the kingdom with the intentions of the kingdom. And I want to just say, like, Jesus is calling each one of us to run with a message. It's, it's got to be clear, it's got to be plain, and it's, it's designed to go somewhere. You know, your message, the message of Jesus and grace is actually designed to go somewhere. And I want to encourage you to run with that message. Um, a few years back, uh, Laura... Uh, Laura Good, who's a part of this church, she's amazing. She had this this picture, uh, and and she shared this with me. And I want to share this this morning. And she said this. So last night, while I was praying, God showed me a picture of a child wearing white, playing with coloured chalk on the path. And it felt like the child may have been near the end of the church driveway, near the RSA, which is just out here. There was a gusty, swirling wind, and the wind blew a tattered piece of paper in front of the child. It immediately caught the child's attention. They grabbed it, took one look at it, stood up, and they began to run in the same direction as the wind. They were running to others to tell them what they'd seen on the paper. There was this feeling of excitement and clarity in the air. The next thing I saw was the leg of a park park bench, like the uh, benches in Victoria Park. Another piece of paper in the same, um, as it has been before, been blown by the feet of an older man sitting on the park bench. He looked down and he noticed it and he picked it up and he looked and and he could hardly walk, but he took one look at this paper. He got up and he ran off to share the message with others. And she went on to say this, I believe that God is showing me that our vision as a church is going to be so clear that anyone, no matter how old or young, will be able to pick it up and run with it. They'll be able to understand it and share it easily. And that'll be such a perfect fit for all of us that it'll be um, the thing that people have been searching for. You know, we're just here and it's like, let's keep it simple. It's a message of hope. It's a message of love. It's a message of, I see you. I, I, I see you. I can see you. I, I notice you. I'm, I'm actually, I want to stand with you in what you're going through. When Jesus ministered, he was, he was always thinking, I want to restore someone. I want to restore someone. I want to come alongside them. And I want to actually take that place of pain and bring them into a place of restoration. There's this woman at the well, one woman at the well, when she's thirsty for the attention of love, she's like had five husbands, and Jesus is like one. The one you're, the one that you're with now is not even your husband, and he and he, and he says to her, "Look, like you know, you're a thirsty girl, but I've got streams of living water. Streams of living water, and when you drink of these streams, you're never gonna thirst again. I'm, I'm gonna restore your dignity, and." and I'm going to restore your soul. You know, he just spoke to the brokenness in her soul and he he restored her out. There was a man, there was one man with a crippled hand. And and this guy, he really, um, he carried this like, you know, you can imagine the public humiliation of having this, you know, it was was a crippled hand. And um, he doubted that God would be good. And he said to Jesus, hey, if you are willing, if you're willing 
could you heal me? And Jesus says, you know, I am willing. Be healed. You know, Jesus heals physical stuff. Yeah, diseases, sickness, backs, headaches, cancers. He heals. Jesus is the healer. There's someone else. There's a demonized man. (laughs) This guy's crazy. He lives on the other side of a lake. He terrorizes the neighborhood. He's, he's naked. He's, uh, Jesus moves into his world, and, 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 he, and he heals his spirit. He delivers him from his demons, and this man is set free and put in his right mind. You know, Jesus wants to heal us from the torment of our world, our addictions. He wants to completely heal our lives. The third R is to restore. The shepherd went out to restore the one. And I love this definition for restoration. It's a a return of something to a former, original, normal, or unimpaired condition. You know, that's, maybe you just think of your life now and you're like, well, where are the gaps? Where where am I not normal? (laughs) Like, what feels a bit, you know? I want to tell you that Jesus does good in the gaps, like to allow him to come into those places and actually bring restoration. And the process of restoration takes time you know if you uh if you you know if you want to build a piece of furniture or restore a piece of furniture you don't pick up a chainsaw and like a it's done you know no you actually spend time shaping carving you know developing this thing so it's fit for purpose and Jesus he was a carpenter he was a carpenter he knew what it what it meant to take time to shape a block of wood for its purpose. And when you think of those around Jesus, like, you know, this guy called Peter, he was with Jesus for three years. And as Jesus lived with this guy, like in the 12 other dudes, in, or 11 other dudes, because he was one of the 12, he, you know, he would have talked, admonished, encouraged, discipled, challenged, tolerated, like, oh my gosh, just grow up. And then this guy, Peter, he, what, he turns around and he, he betrays Jesus and he says, you know, I don't even, I don't even know you. I don't, who are you? You know, I'm, I'm going to walk away from you. And Jesus is like, no, I, I want to restore you. I want to restore you. In spite of all that stuff, I still am looking to restore your life because Jesus saw people as his greatest accomplishment. He saw, he saw you and he saw I, me, you or I, everyone in here, he's seeing you as his greatest accomplishment. In this final summary in John 17, Jesus didn't even point back to one miracle that he performed, not that they weren't important. He didn't say to God, dear chairman of the board of completed my task here of doing the following. I've raised the dead. I've turned water into wine. I've multiplied loaves and fishes. And I've significantly reduced the number of those on sick leave in this region. He said this. He said, now I'm leaving the world and leaving them behind and I'm coming to you. He's talking to his dad. He says, Holy Father, keep them in your own care. All those you've given me so that they will be united just as we are with none missing. During my time here, I've kept safe within your family all those you gave me. I guarded them so that not one perished. Not one. He was just all about everyone. (laughs) 
I know we've got a crowd here, but you're one. You're someone that Jesus is passionate about. The, the tangible things that Jesus left behind to show his father were Peter, James, and John, his mother Mary, the thief that hung on the cross beside Peter, uh, beside, sorry, beside Jesus that hung on the cross. And, and he said to him, you know, today you'll be with me in paradise. There was the woman at the well. There was a woman healed from an issue of blood. There was blind Bartimaeus and there was his 11 odd disciples. And he was all about these people. They would be his greatest display. They would be what he left behind, what fine work he created and left behind. This was Jesus, the carpenter of human souls. Like, that's my Jesus. He is the one. He is the way. He is the truth and the life. And I, I guess for, for many of you here, you're here today because someone got in your world, someone maybe shared their faith, someone maybe reached out to you, whether it was a family member or someone else in your world, but you're here because of one. And I just I want to encourage you to be a, a church that looks out for the one, that goes for the one, that runs for the one, that, it, that spends time with the one. I just wonder if you just stand with me right now. For any more information on this sermon or any additional resources, visit us at thrivechurch.co.nz.